This podcast episode from Oncology Data Advisor was recorded live at the 2023 American Society of Hematology annual meeting in San Diego. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit oncdata.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on social media for more exclusive content and interviews from the meeting. Thank you so much for your time today and being here with us. Thank you. Uh, would you like to begin with introducing yourself and your research interests? Sure. Uh, so I'm Dr. Ira Zakon, uh, and I'm a senior medical director with Ontada, uh, doing retrospective uh, EHR-sourced uh, uh, real-world research, and I'm also a practicing hematologist uh, still in, uh, in uh, upstate New York. Incredible. Um, to start, would you like to give an overview of your abstract and presentation from this year? Yes, yeah, so we were focusing on the disease uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, CLL patients, uh, and uh, looking at a retrospective real-world uh, data on, uh, with a particular focus in these patients uh, based on any differences uh, based on race or socioeconomic factors that could influence uh, optimal outcomes. Uh, in the community oncology setting. So, the, as I mentioned, the data is sourced in an electronic health record called INOMED. It's used across the U.S. oncology network. So, U.S. oncology is the largest aggregated group of community-based oncology practices So, it across the geographic regions of the United States. So, um, and we identified over 12,000 patients uh, to, to use in this data. Um, and then it was during the period of 2015 through mid-2023, so an, an eight-year period approximately of data. And we chose that because that was the time we began to change the way we treat CLL. The introduction of BTK inhibitors in 2014 and then BCL2 inhibitors and anti-CD20 antibodies more, uh, moving away from chemotherapy paradigms. So we wanted to capture what's happening in this era of CLL therapy. So in those 12,000 patients, uh, when we looked at uh, black versus white versus other, 91% of the patients were white, 5% were black, and 4% other. This reasonably aligns with what we expect for CLL, but looking within the population, what we noted that there were some significant differences. So black people with CLL, uh, were a little bit younger on mean age, 68 years old at diagnosis compared to 70. Uh, but they also presented at more advanced stage. 55% had stage three and four versus 45% in, in white patients. And then the socioeconomic factors we looked at were both level of education and total household income, uh, stratifying at less than $30,000 or more than $30,000. And we were using what we call structured data. so. You know, when a physician is taking care of a patient, there's a lot of narrative that's unstructured, but this is what's entered into easily, um, you know, extracted data for analysis. So it's a more high-level look. Um, but there were significant differences uh, in the black patients having lower levels of overall income and, importantly, lower levels of uh, falling into the lower level of total household income. So then the primary outcome we looked at was overall survival. Uh, and this was measured from the time, not from their diagnosis, but from the time they entered their first visit with uh, one of these practices. Um, and the death rate in the black CLL population was 61% uh, versus only 43% in the white population. Uh, and when we then go back and uh, look at these different 
factors uh, demographically and uh, the social determinants that we looked at uh, and you adjust for them. Uh, once you adjusted for the uh, socioeconomic factors, in particular income, uh, black race itself didn't remain a statistically significant, although clinically and socially <laughs> significant, I'd say. Uh, and the household income less than 30,000 remained a statistically uh, significant uh, potential driver of this. Even though we only captured that data in 20, about 25% of that population, so of the total population. So even though there's significant missingness of that data entry, it still remains significant. So, um, so it's, it's painting a picture that I would say most important is to recognize that there seems to be a significant difference and gap in overall survival uh, and that social determinants of health may be playing a role in there uh, that we need to understand more. What kind of intentional efforts do you think we need to be making to address these racial and socioeconomic disparities in the CLL setting? So I, I, even for this kind of study, you know, the next steps would be really to do a more in-depth analysis where you have to uh, get chart review and get to more details because we also still need to know there's no differences in the nature of the disease, you know, the prognosis factors besides stage, uh, the care they actually got, was it the same care, was it the same types of therapy, was it the same duration of therapy, <clears throat> and then get more granular look. Uh, you know, I think we, we recognize that this is not just CLL story, it's really across health, yeah. <laughs> not just even uh, malignancies. Um, and that we need to look at different data sources that we have to get below this high level look, right? So um, we understand that there's, there are real financial issues when it comes to the cost of care, uh, co-pays. Uh, there are issues of accessing care. Um, is, uh, do you depend on public transportation? Where do you, how far are you from an office site? Um, what is your social support? Are you on your own? Uh, do you have someone, a partner? Do you have a family, anyone that can help? Uh, and then, uh, you know, there's also dimensions of our uh, mental health, of spiritual health. Uh, so we need to get at those details uh, and see what is, in a sense, actionable. Like, what can we do? We know there's things we can do. So in our database within this uh, U.S. Oncology Network, uh, we've incorporated into the EHR what's called the NCCN distress thermometer. So, uh, so it's all, it'll become like a vital sign, not every visit, but uh, patients can enter their elements that give us a thermometer look at how much distress they have. But importantly, when you look at underneath that, it is financial. There is information about social support or social stress, emotional uh, health, uh, uh, transportation issues, uh, even things that may change. I am under stress at this point because of this. I may not be at the same level of stress at different times. But that could point the way, hopefully, to, I mean, we're going to, you know, data-wise, it's population health. Okay, well, what are the main drivers? And if these really stand out consistently, what are the solutions that are being brought? Uh, what else can be done? And then, of course, you have to go back and look at, well, what's the impact, uh, you know, of that? Uh, you know, from a patient care perspective, uh, within uh, utilizing, let's say, this tool of the NCCN distress thermometer, um, certain things would then trigger a social work, you know, engagement, identification of what the issues. And we also have um, 
are using a software program uh, that would, based on their residential zip code, identify potential community resources, uh, depending on what the sector kind of of their social health or social determinants of health, let's say, are. So there's practical things to start doing. Um, they make sense, but you still ultimately have to go back to population systems and say, okay, have we moved the needle? Are we, filling, are we closing gaps that are important? Yeah. How do we create a more comfortable setting to accrue a more diverse crew? I think there's maybe multiple facets to that. Um, the, the sites of care that we provide, um, you know, hopefully closer to communities where they live, okay? I mean, that's the nature of community based on college. You're meant to be closer, but it's not always true, depending on where you live. There's also rural versus urban settings, you know, that come into play. Um, but the culture of the practice, you know, what is it like to walk in there? How do people feel across differences, right? Um, who do they see as employees? Um, and then I think it's, there, is, there are issues of trust sometimes, you know, entering into the healthcare system um, and not feeling faith in that encounter or will you be getting Will you be listened to? Will you be seen who you are, you know? Um, but then when it comes to particular important health aspects, uh, I think there needs to be not just education in the way we talk about it generally, but community advocates. Uh, so let's say for cancers or hematologic disease, um, you know, let's say black patients who have this had that disease and they experience it if they can be advocates in their own community um, that may have a much greater resonance and impact to uh, enter into getting your health you know checked <laughs> if you're not feeling well or even preventatively yeah so I think there's multiple levels but um, you know uh, we can't assume that just getting educational materials out, whether electronically or otherwise, is necessarily going to make the impact that an individual can that's from a community. How would you say clinicians could begin to address their unconscious bias in this issue? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it takes a, a team to care for people. So, uh, you know, I think as physicians, I mean, one of the I see gifts to us is the diversity of patients that you get to see. You get to enter people's lives in a, in a very intimate way when you're caring for them, especially over time. And you have to build a level of trust in that relationship, right? It's, uh, you can't care for someone if they're not trusting uh, your guidance, you know, or your opinion. Um, so I think we have to be aware of uh, if, if we are not uh, developing that level you know you have to really but I think it has to get below the differences to the very human level that's kind of how we can connect with each other and embrace the fact that we have different we grow up somewhere else so we have a different community different family and all the things that go into making each of us who we are right so but it also takes a team so I mean it's a pra I think it's a culture of, yeah. of a institution or a practice um, in um, making sure that we see each person as an individual and want to open up conversations because you can't really care for someone if you don't understand 
where they who they are and what their issues may be you know um, but as I said it's a team so it's not just a physician because you know physicians also busy and they move from patient to patient uh, so having extenders like nurse practitioners and physician assistants who act by by scheduling in nature have more time uh, having a team that includes social workers uh, nurses are critical you know nurses spend a lot of time with patients whether it's on the phone or whether it's in the office or in an infusion suite if they're getting active therapy and uh, that level of just relationship and dialogue and coming back to the physician with things that they see that are important to feedback so they can be brought into you know the discussion when you're seeing the patient so I I see it yeah as a team can play a role together and everyone listen you just have to be focused on the right thing which is the best care for individual patient regardless of who they are regardless of their insurance regardless of their background uh, you know uh, uh, that if you're focused on giving the highest, the best patient care, it's it's not just the what we do, it's the how we do it that may, really makes a difference. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I know you talked about the limitations that you experience in this study already, but I wanted to ask um, if you and your team have sort of a plan in the upcoming year to continue this conversation, continue this study. Yeah, well, we certainly would, would like to. I think... Uh, the um, just as you saw some of the missingness of the data, so we think we're going to have more data uh, with the implementation of the stress thermometer because it's going to be used by practices in real time clinically, and we'll have the advantage of being able to use that data. So we need to let that populate more before we can revisit. Um, not so much the short term of maybe getting some descriptives and understanding, because but the but the longitudinal impact will take years and years in a, in a chronic disease, depending on you know in, the, in this case CLL. Um, so you know, yeah, we hope that we'll be able to get at at that in more detail uh, in the near future. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Well, we're definitely excited to continue this conversation and hear more about your research and study. So. We'll do it again next year, hopefully, or yeah. certainly soon. <laughs> definitely next year. So thank you so much for this dialogue and this passion. So thank you so much. Thank you.